and welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast where we talk about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I'm Becky, looking at Marie across the Zoom. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. So uh, what are you fearing today, Marie? Well, um, in last week's episode about QAnon, which if you haven't listened to it, you should, we had a major inaccuracy that I want to correct. And I, I just want to point out that it's very important to us that if we'd make a mistake, we call it out right away. You would agree with that, right? Yes. So if there's a big mistake, we will correct it. Somehow. Yeah, I think you should put this on the website. So basically okay. one of our, we have a, a listener that's a huge fan of the show that pointed it out to me that on last week's episode, I said that at the beginning of coronavirus, I had 200 bottles of wine and, uh, <laughs> It turns out I only started with 110. <laughs> so I just wanted, I, <laughs> this listener was, was very annoyed by the inaccuracy. <laughs> In fact, we were at the gym and oh, no. so we're on, we're on treadmills next to each other. Cause we, we, we can reserve a time just for the two of us. Right. So we're on treadmills next to each other and He's, I didn't know he was listening to our podcast, but he was listening to our podcast. And all of a sudden he ripped his headphones out and he was like, we did not have 200 bottles of wine. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, on your podcast, you said we had 200 bottles of wine. And I was like, okay, well, how many did we have? Anyway, so he also pointed out that he thinks we're making ourselves sound like alcoholics on the show. <laughs> I totes think we sound like alcoholics on the show. I totes do. So, I have thought about that too. So I was like, all right, well, we're not. So with that new figure, I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and plug in the numbers because I'm sure this new figure is going to make it seem like we're- It's going to redeem you completely. Exactly. Sure, so yeah. I took 110 and I divided it by eight. So that's 13.75 bottles per month. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So that's divided by four. So that was an average of 3.5 bottles of wine a week. Now, I'm sure some weeks were less and some were more. That actually doesn't sound that bad. Now I'm, that I'm the alcoholic. All right. Three and a half bottles a week? That's nothing. Good Lord. Well, first of all, oh, I've been a responsible drinker th since 2005. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah whatever that means. No, I'm just saying like, we joke about it a lot, but I don't think we're crazy drinkers. I think we just have a few glasses of wine every now and then. And anyway, I just wanted to make that fact correction. <laughs> well, now, you know, three and a half bottles of wine. For our listener, nothing, so. James, from, I hope you're happy that I... <laughs> he ripped off his headphones. That's so funny. But yeah, I do. I do like uh, trying cocktails and stuff like that, but I'm not, I'm not sloshing around the house drunk all the time, which if that's how we make ourselves sound in the <laughs> podcast, I apologize to my husband. Aww. And I just wanted to get that, you know, I wanted to make sure that the facts were clear, that it was not... Facts are clear. 200 bottles of wine the facts are clear but i also wanted to point out if somebody happened to notice the timing of the release of that episode it was complete coincidence that we did a q anon and the next day there was a siege of the capital like that to me can look really weird if you look at the timing of it like we made light of it because we do make fun of q anon but we also point out in the episode how serious they are and how words translate into action and that was proven out last Wednesday, that it's more than just words. So we recorded that sucker three days before and released it the night before the morning of. Just wanted to make sure that's on the record. Well, and you know what's crazy about that is we've talked about QAnon as a topic for a while now. And I know you've been, you were kind of like iffy on it. You were like, I don't know. And so I tried to make a connection in our episode between QAnon and crimes. And it was just complete coincidence because mm -hmm. had I pushed for this harder, we would have done this episode a month ago. Mm -hmm. It's just odd, the, the coincidence of what happened. The timing was very strange. I couldn't believe. Wednesday. We were on the phone together and you go, I got to get off. You got to go because they're evacuating the capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah something yeah. like that. Yeah, it was like. 
yeah. And then I, and then it didn't occur to me for a little while of, wait a second, I'm supposed to be sitting here creating our like, our little Instagram pictures to, to tell people what our podcast is about that particular week. And I'm like, you might have noticed I didn't do one. I felt like it was too glib. I felt like it was too serious a breach of our national security to kind of start because I had cute little things about, you know, tinfoil hats. And I even have a tinfoil hat I was going to put on and take a picture. Um, and then I was like, I couldn't do it. I, it was too serious to me. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I at the time I, I texted James and a couple of other people. I'm like, you guys watching the news? Trump supporters are attacking the Capitol. And they're like, what? You're shitting me. I'm like, no. And I heard some reports that they found some of the people they arrested, they found zip ties and nooses. I read all about the, the there was a couple of people with what they referred to as zip ties and they identified these men, the ones who had the zip ties, but they were flex cuffs mm-hmm. specifically meant to subdue an adult human right? and not just like hold up a plant in your garden like a zip tie can do. These were only meant for use as handcuffs and the noose outside and the guillotine outside and all that. Yeah, I mean, we could... Well, maybe just do another episode on it. Yeah. Because uh, I do want to talk about conspiracy theories in a larger context too, not just the QAnon. And we spent that one on QAnon, which of course is important, but we could, we'll do that in a future episode, maybe. In the yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I think we should talk more about conspiracy theories. And I also think we should talk more about the mob mentality in yeah. general yeah. and, and seeing people as other, yeah. you know? Yes. Yes. Seeing people as other. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, but let's move on to something. <laughs> I don't know if it'll be lighter. There is a crime related to this story. Yeah. What are you fearing today? Other than horned men. That guy. In the oh. Capital. <laughs> oh, that guy. I, you know, that guy didn't think that through, which I'm glad of because all of them, they're, did you read that they're all, if they're Q-Nor. confirmed being in there, they're on the no fly yeah. list now? Enjoy Greyhound, bruh. So now let's regroup. Yeah. Are we, uh, yeah, let's regroup. Okay. All right. So, what more? are you fearing today, Becky, besides all the stuff we just talked about? Well, today I am fearing something that I've been fearing probably my whole life as somebody who grew up in Texas and is a sports fan and who went to uh, Texas high school that was known for how good the football team was and everything. I'm fearing obsessive sports parents now you went to high school in texas but you didn't go to a football school you went to a private religious i went to a private school but every school in texas is sports centric yeah i mean so did you have a football team on your oh yeah we had like a six man or like a one of those yeah it was something like that Uh, our story takes place in texas and those of you who are not from texas or think that you know what really goes on in texas because you watch friday night lights Basically, there's a lot of Texas football that Friday Night Lights gets correct. Did you watch that series? I did not, but you know, that's the high school James went to, and he did go to high school during the time period that that, there, the time period. How did I not know he went to Permian? How did I not know this? Because my mom grew up in Odessa, and she went to Odessa High, and so long before Friday Night Lights became a thing with the book, I grew up knowing that Odessa Permian was the enemy because my mom went to Odessa High, right, you know, right, right. yeah, it's crosstown rivals. It turns into stuff that can be really serious sometimes. Well, it can get really, really ugly about their football in Texas. Well, one of the things that happens is you have somebody who becomes obsessive himself with the, just the drive to become a great football player. And then you have the ones who push their kids into a really, really dangerous area. And I know somebody who went to my high school that had a father like this. And I'm not going to talk about details of this because this person who was my age is no longer with us. This person died when we were in college at Tech, actually. I know a lot of stories about what happened with him when he was in high school. He wasn't a friend of mine, but I'm very close to people that he knew. There's a lot of similarities between that and this story. So this is from an article in Texas Monthly in 98, actually by Skip Hollinsworth, and he's a phenomenal writer. He writes for Texas Monthly. I love his stories. He's also a screenwriter. What was that movie about the the guy who put the dead body in um, Bernie? 
Weekend at Bernie's? No, Bernie the movie. Oh my God, Nevin. We're going to have to come back. Bernie, I'm sorry. The movie is named Bernie and that is your assignment. I watched Baby God for you. You're going to watch Bernie. Okay. All right. Whoa, aggressive. (laughs) Wow. If if you could just see her face just then, like she's like pointing and I'm screaming. You're very upset about watching Baby God, apparently. I was. I can't believe you told me to watch that thing. Okay, Uh, here it is. Our story begins in the late 1960s in Fort Worth in a Texas star football player named Bill. And this is the quote from Skip Hollinsworth article. Bill, quote, was considered the ideal athlete, the kind of player colleges craved. Not only was he strong, coaches fondly called him Butt, a variation on his last name, because of the way he would lower his head and headbutt anyone who tried to tackle him, and he was fast very fast. He worked out obsessively. He kept in perfect shape. This kid was on the way, right? Well, he was dating a girl named Kathy. And one night, their little teenage passions just got the best of them. And they decided to go to their high school football field and do it on the 50-yard line. Well, that summer, she's pregnant, they're married, and he has to drop out of football because you're not allowed to be married and play football at that high school in 1967. Wow. It's over for Bill. So they had this, their son, his name was Billy. He was born in 68. 71, daughter Sandy was born. Now, in the early 70s, Bill had still not given up on his dream of playing football. He actually went to an open tryout for the Dallas Cowboys in the early 70s. And I'll come back to that story later and how that happened. But he went to the open tryout. He was cut in the first round. He and his wife eventually opened a small manufacturing company in Fort Worth. And in 1977, their son Lance was born. Now, at first, during Billy and Sandy's childhoods, he was obsessed with with Billy becoming like the star athlete. Like he was obsessed with it, okay? So much so that when Billy was in second grade, his dad set up daily workouts for him. Did you hear me say second grade? Having him do pull-ups from the top bar of a swing set and run wind sprints in the yard. I wish my parents would have done that for me. (laughs) I'll be honest. When you're going to high school, all social activities are surrounded by sports, right? So whether you're good at sports or not, if you want to be in with the in crowd, you got to play sports. Or be a a, a fan of sports. You have to support them. You're on the dance team. You're on the cheerleading. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I did all the sports. I was terrible at it. I just, I kind of made my way by being like, doing sort of a Dada comedic thing, you know, where I was, I was playing sports, but I was playing it badly for comedic effect. You know, I could tell you so many stories of times that (laughs) I just like really caused a stir because of something crazy I did. So I'll I'll maybe tell you a story later. Continue. Okay. If we have time, maybe we're trying to keep under time for the first time ever. (laughs) Um, We're trying people. We're trying. So, okay, so he was obsessed with his daughter becoming an athlete as well. Both of his older children played sports. And then one time later on in her adolescence, Sandy decided she wanted to be a cheerleader. Bill did this, and this is quoting Skip's article. Well, he told his daughter she would need to develop a better body if she wanted to be a cheerleader. So he started keeping her away from all sweets, carbonated drinks, etc. He ordered for her when they went to restaurants. When a friend of hers came over, Bill would demand that the friend open the purse so he could make sure she was not sneaking in food for his daughter. He was also obsessed with his daughter becoming a cheerleader as well. He was obsessed with everyone in his family being in the tip-top perfect possible shape, just like perfect possible shape, and for his children to succeed in athletics and succeed in this stuff. And people around in the neighborhood... Some of them were like, oh, look how obsessed he is with his kids in a good way. And some people were like, no, look how obsessed he is with his kids. It's like he would leave work early, even though he was quote unquote the president of their company. His wife, Kathy, ran the company because he would leave work early to go and watch practices and stuff for his kids instead of staying at work and working. So he would come up with all these diet plans and all this stuff to keep himself and his wife and his kids in perfect shape. So in 91, a chance encounter changed everything. These were the words that changed everything. If your boy keeps his head on straight, he's going to have a great future. Referring to Lance, those words came from a football coach from TCU, which is Texas Christian University in Fort Worth. So all of a sudden, 
between 91 and 95, Bill turns all of his attention to Lance. Lance is his chance. This is going to be the one I'm finally going to get it. I'm finally going to make it. For instance, he wanted to be a baseball star and a football star. So he set up a pitching machine in their backyard. And one day, a neighbor heard Bill shouting, watch the fucking ball, Lance. What's wrong with you? Maybe this will teach you to keep your eye on the ball. Well, his neighbor came around the corner and saw Lance cowering at the plate. Now, Bill had aimed that pitching machine directly at his son. And the balls were spitting out at 60 miles an hour. And they were all bouncing off of Lance's body. Bill, his neighbor shouted, what are you doing? Bill looked surprised but recovered quickly and said, what the hell does it look like we're doing? This is a concentration drill. So one of the interesting things about this is what was Kathy's role in all this, right? What was she doing? And she's interviewed a lot in this article. Gip Hollinsworth really goes into detail about her personality and how, what things were going on in this marriage and what she was like in this marriage and trying to protect her kids. Well, she didn't step in. And, and in fact, he, of, of course, was abusing her too, right? I'll give you an example of that later. So Lance, as he grew into his adolescence and became a football star, and he was a star going into his senior year in the fall of 95, he never spent a night with friends or went on any weekend trips he was invited to because his father required him to get up every single morning at 6 a.m. to run for five miles. So I'm sure his dad's like mortified. Lance is going to get some girl pregnant too, right? That's a deep fear that his father has, yes. So during all of this time, luck would have it that Lance has never really caught the eye of a pretty girl or pretty girls never caught his eye. Well, all that changes. So he was a good, sweet kid, okay? His mother said that he was such a precious, sweet child. He would do that, like the thing where he would see a bug in the house and he would pick it up and carry it outside to set it outside instead of killing the, like a sensitive, sweet kid. He maintained a 4-0, he didn't get into fights, he didn't do anything bad at school, his teachers really admired and liked him. He didn't drink, he didn't smoke, he was polite, sweet, and gentle. I mean, everybody just loved this kid. Well, Bill became obsessed, you already predicted it, look at you and your intuition, when Lance started dating a girl. Yeah. This is, this is September, October of his senior year in 95. So the girlfriend's name is Kim, and Kim, I think she ran track and, and she and she and Lance would kind of just start flirting a little bit in computer class. Well, he knew he had to keep this a secret from his father. So Kim was okay with let's just like meet up before school and you know and, and, and hold hands in school, but never go out on actual dates. She was okay with it because she understood his father would lose his mind. Lance knew this the whole time. And in the third game of that fall season, Lance mistimed an interception and the other team got a touchdown. Well, that's one of the very few mistakes that Lance has ever made on a football field. A few days later, his father appears at the coach's office and says, I think his mind is on other things. And the coach says, it was one pass. It's nothing. She says, no, 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 Lance will be fine. I'll get him back on track for you. He says to Kathy, she says, and this is a quote, I remember him saying that little bitch Kim is going to ruin everything for us. And Kathy says, I thought, what does he mean by us? Okay, so he becomes even more obsessed, more obsessed. So he orders Lance to break up with Kim. So how did he find out about uh, Kim? Because he was at school all the time when there were practices every day and he would see her running track or he would notice they were looking at each other. Like he saw everything. Got it. Okay. And he ordered Lance to break up with Kim and then he did, Lance did. But then he started seeing her again secretly. Now, Bill is so obsessed with his child not dating anybody that he starts following his son when he leaves the house, and then he starts following Kim. He followed her around so much that her parents were so concerned, they went to the police to try and get him to back off. So do you think that stopped Bill? I'm guessing no. <laughs> no. This is always crazy to me with parents i'm i'm gonna just say this because i if if you don't like someone your kid is dating let it play out i mean set, set rules but let it play out the more you resist it the more they're gonna you're just solidifying the relationship because they will i mean like a bad relationship will break up if there's abuse or something that's different but but if you 
if you persist in breaking it up, then they're going to turn into freaking Romeo. I said freaking again. I'm sorry. They're going to turn. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I can't use profanity on this podcast. They're going to turn into Romeo and Juliet. You know, it's, it is the way. <laughs> it is the way I have spoken. Um, so if you think about like you, this kid too, especially Lance, he was sheltered in a way because he spent every second of his time with his father working out doing those things and then this was his first girlfriend this is not going to be his last just let it go like just yeah. leave it alone <laughs> and if you're real worried about him knocking up some girl get him some condoms and have a conversation with him but no he follows her around in his truck that she starts recognizing tells her parents the parents go to the cops please put an end to this I don't know what the cops actually did that's not in like any of these records or anything but I do know that he stopped following her in his truck Instead, he rented a car so he wouldn't be recognized. Wait, does this guy have a job? That's what I'm saying. He was technically president of a company with his wife. They owned the company, but she did all the work because he, all he did was Clearly, because he's following this teenage girl around everywhere. All he did was this. It's all he did was, was obsessed about his son, Lance. So. Oh my gosh. So he's rented a car so that he will not be seen, okay? Or not be noticed. Uh, well, it didn't avoid detection because one night his son was in his car, not with the girlfriend, but his son was in a car with a buddy of his and they see his dad come in the other direction. And his friend is like, dude, is that your dad in a different car? Like what's going on? And his, the dad saw them, did a fucking U-turn like in a movie and starts to try and run them off the road because here's what he would think would happen. And maybe it did. I don't know. But he thought that if his son was out of the house, with even with his buddies, that that was just a cover and that he was going to go to the girlfriend's house to see her. I mean, that's fair, right? Because that's what you do. <laughs> that's, 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 that's the only thing you've told me right now that's not crazy. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, one of the things he did one time when he made him break up with her is he literally drove his son to her house and said, go to the porch, bring her out the porch, and I want to watch you do it. I want I mean, to watch you do what? Break, break up, up with her. You have to do it in front of me so I know it's real. So we are in now, we're in November of 95, okay? So we've had several games. The, the kid, Lance, he's a great player. He gets interceptions. He's he's just, they, they chant his name and the stands. He's just a great player and everybody just adores the kid. Okay, so one night in November, Bill and Kathy had dinner with some friends and Bill suggests they drive back to their old neighborhood in Fort Worth. And so they all pile into the car and they head to their old practice field. Now, Kathy and her friend are kind of walking towards the end zone and Bill and his friend stood right at the 50 yard line. This is a direct quote because he says it really well. Quote, Bill looked into the distance and said with his voice trembling, this is where it all ended for me. Right here. It all ended all because of one night, one fucking night, unquote. Uh, how's this marriage going? How's it, how's it going? How do you think it's going? Well, and this this just kills me too. Why certain groups, in particular in Texas, are opposed to just educating people about birth control. I, like, I hear stories and a lot of Christian people that don't believe in birth control ended up in the same circumstance or had sex before they were married. So it's like, just let people decide. You can still say don't have sex. You can still give them the reasons why they shouldn't. If we're going to go down this road, I will self-disclose this. I did not have sex in high school. I did not. And I would not have done it. I don't care if you gave me condoms and put me on birth control. That would not have led me to have sex. I was not going to have sex in high school. It didn't deter me because I wasn't on birth control or I didn't have access to free condoms. So the very idea of, well, if you give this or you give them that, or if you give them the cancer vaccine for cervical cancer, that they're going to suddenly start having sex. That would not necessarily be true. It would certainly not have been true for me. Yeah, I'm not going to say who it was, but I was at a, a gathering where the host announced to everyone because he was upset about birth control being distributed in schools. And he said, I know for a fact, everyone at this table had sex before they were married. And he was like, and what do you think would have happened if we would have had birth control? And I'm like, I'm so confused. I'm very what? confused. What was his answer confused. is you wouldn't have had babies. I don't, what do you mean? Of course that's what, what would have happened. Well, I, I do remember when I was a kid, there was this guy at our church that was always complaining about the length 
of the skirts that young girls were wearing at church. He was complaining about this all the time. And then he was also coming forward and confessing, committing some sin in his mind or whatever. I don't know. But the point is, I think that some of the psychology of people ties into this. Like they're projecting their view. So maybe they struggle with correlating their religious views with their natural urges. And so they're like, if you had told me birth control was a thing, then I would have just been having sex like, you know, I was in the Roman court or something Mm -hmm. during Nero. And it's like... Because that's what's in their mind, right? That they want to be having sex with everyone they see. It's, I agree. It's the same thing about the people who have the issue with transgenders, bathrooms and all that, who go, well, if I'd known I could just choose my gender, I would have gone into the girls' room and stared at all of them getting naked. I'm like, well, you're a fucking pervert. That's what you are. If you tell right. that story about who you were, that tells me what's in your heart, not what's in anybody else's. Right, right. Yeah. Oh. And I'm not advocating that people have sex when they're in high school. I'm just advocating that if people decide to do it, that they don't just have a passionate encounter and let the chips fall where they may, right? Because for some reason, Christian youth seem to think if they, if it happens by out of passion or it's a mistake, then they can ask for forgiveness. But if it's premeditated, like condoms mm-hmm. make it premeditated, so therefore... Mm-hmm. It's just preposterous. Well, there's also a lot of people who do the virginity pledges and they end up with higher STD rates because they're doing riskier sex. They're doing anal sex and they're doing oral sex without protection. You know, if if you want to be chased because of some view you have, then be chased. But just if you're not going to be, then you need to be upfront about it and take precautions for your own safety. Like no parent wants their kid to have AIDS or chlamydia now people who say well if we give him a a cancer vaccine then that just gives him permission to have sex well i'm not protecting him i'm protecting her right i'm protecting everybody you sleep around or not you don't deserve cancer but what about the person who does maintain that chaste path does all the right things according to their religion and their beliefs and everything that the parents have set up for them they still get cancer from it because just because you have sex with somebody for your first time you have to realize you're having sex with everyone they ever slept with too. Right. So anyway. Well, and I want to say one last thing on this too, is that we're so focused on telling people don't do it because it's a sin or you're going to go to hell or whatever, that we're also not addressing the psychological issues that people have from having sex when they're not ready to. Yes. And that should be the thing that you should be using to convince people not to have sex you need to think it through because there are major consequences and also do you want to be bonded to this person for a certain period of time because that's what's going to happen and it happens to boys too whether they want to admit it sure sure of course yeah and we have a lot of listeners in utah who are probably going to stop listening (laughs) no 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 listeners in utah (laughs) listeners in utah let me talk to you Don't (laughs) don't stop listening because I'm not saying that that young people who are unmarried should have sex. I'm not taking a position on it. The only thing I'm taking a position on is that people should be educated yes. about everything. Yes. Not just Satan and hell as a deterrent because it don't work. It hasn't worked. Look at the statistics. Fear of hell is not working. <laughs> Satan has not been a deterrent. Hell has not been a deterrent. This is such a natural urge for people. You're going to have to use a different philosophy. I think that's going to be the name of this episode. There there are better deterrents than hell. So a few nights after he said that stuff about the 50-yard line, Kathy is cleaning uh, up the house and she comes across a little notebook and she realized she'd seen Bill writing in this notebook, but she didn't know what it was. Well, she opens it up. One of the things it said that Bill had written was this, quote, junior summer colon pain every summer since i have to be able to express my hurt my pain my animosity toward you or i will die or worse my kids more than i already have or us now first of all that's so jumbled it's like there's a mind that's really not working correctly you know those words are all over the place but none of it goes to a good place now we're into december of 95 so off and on lance has 
broken up with Kim. He's got back together with Kim. He has secretly been seeing Kim. They'll get on the phone. They'll have a phone relationship. And this morning, he gets up for his daily jog, Lance. He jogs to Kim's house. And he tells her he thinks that things are now going to be better with his dad. Then he heads home and he shoots his father twice. Once in the back, his father spins around and he shoots him in the forehead. This is not where I thought this was going. I know. That's why I told it in the order I did. Tell me where you thought it was going. Well, I thought the dad was going to kill everybody. Okay. You know, like Lance gets Kim pregnant or he catches them and then out of rage, he he like kills them and then kills everybody. That was what I thought was going to happen. My gosh, I was thinking about this today in the shower. It was a shower thought. And I was trying to think of what story propelled it forward. I've just been watching a lot of documentaries about murder lately. And just... It's less stressful than politics. I, I was just thinking about what drives people to choose killing others or themselves rather than the myriad of other choices that are out there. Well, that's what we talk about in the show all the time, right? The decision-making. What leads a person to think they're so hopeless that that's the only option? So there's, there's more. Okay, continue. I skipped over things and I'm going to back up because I wanted to get to the part where the murder occurred and then I'm going to tell you what happened that led up to it beyond what I already told you. Because it turns out, this is not a surprise to you, if you listen to true crime or watch true crime, you know, that Bill was violently abusive this whole time to his entire family. And if you don't want to hear graphic descriptions of abuse, then skip forward. When Bill was cut up for the Dallas Cowboys football team, he came home and Kathy tried to give him a hug, but he suddenly reached back with his fist closed, two knuckles sticking out and popped her so hard in the chest, she thought one of her breasts was going to cave in. He screamed, you keep away from me, you fucking bitch, you keep away. One time, before Lance was born, she did try to leave him. And she took Billy and Sandy to her parents' house. Well, Bill followed them, nearly knocking the door down to get to her, pushing her elderly father against the wall and telling him to stay out of his business. So Kathy realized after that, that if she ever tried to hide from Bill again, he would abandon his home, his, his job, everything he owned just to find them. She decided she had no choice but to return home. And for the children's sake, try and make everything feel as normal as possible. So she covered the dents in the doors that Bill had kicked in with posters. She cooked large meals. And this is a quote from Skip Hollinsworth. She cooked large meals and smiled lovingly at all times. I'm going to take a pause. I'm going to tell you something I'm sure you've heard before. But ladies and gentlemen, but ladies, don't go back. There are other options. It seems like there's not, but there are. And I will put some options on our website. If you have any of these things that sound familiar to you, you are not alone and you can get out. Do not go back. Do not go back. I think that people really clearly only think about the here and now. And this is the same thing, choosing murder over choosing like leaving or running away, which is a better choice, is that you're going to feel bad for a period of time, but it will pass. I think sometimes with these types of relationships, I would um, liken it to say somebody who has a heroin addiction or something that's trying to break it. There is, an, there is an addictive quality to it. So you are going to go through a period of severe discomfort where you you may feel sick, you may feel horrible, and you may feel like your future is bleak, but it will get better. It, it just will. And I don't care if it's abuse or if it's a bad relationship. I don't care for whatever the reason is. Don't stay in a relationship because you fear what will happen when you leave. Leave the relationship because you fear what will happen if you stay. Right. Um, so anyway, I'm not judging her. This She was doing her best in what she knew in her life. Kathy thought she was actually protecting her children. I get it. I'm saying let's make a different choice. This is another example of abuse, okay? In 84, friends of Bill and Kathy invited Bill and Kathy over for a night of cards. After the Butterfields lost the first hand, Bill threw his cards at his wife and yelled, you are a stupid fucking bitch. His friends were shocked at a loss for words. Kathy quickly smiled and said, oh, I'm sorry. And in a few minutes, they acted as if nothing had happened. Graphic abuse coming up here, people. So trigger warning. Kathy lost count of the time. She watched him coming down the hall, slapping a paddle into his palm. And the kids were silent during the poundings because if they ever cried out, their father would hit them harder. Sometimes he would bring Kathy into the room, hand the paddle to her and say, your turn. 
if she didn't hit hard enough, he would grab her by the hair or kick her in the back. Harder, you bitch. You're the one who taught these kids to disobey. One day, a neighbor drove past their home and saw Kathy in the driveway in a rubber sweatsuit with one end of a rope tied around her waist and the other end tied to the back of a car. But she put on her best smile as the person drove by and she said, hey, Bill's just helping me lose weight. Bill began pulling her around the block, forcing her to run at full speed. So that's crazy town right there. There's more detail. I'm really just going to get to the Lance stuff because this is what led up directly to the death of Bill. Okay, by this point, Lance is 18, but he he won't leave. I mean, obviously he won't leave his mom, right? So in the fall of 95, the whole time, Bill was beating his son with that paddle. In early December, this was after Lance had dated Kim a couple times and he was pissed off that he missed a tackle or whatever, I don't know, whatever it was. He told Lance, his 18-year-old child, to go into his room and put on a thin pair of athletic shorts. He pulled the paddle ball rackets he'd recently bought at a toy store and wrapped them together with duct tape. From another room, Kathy heard Bill screaming, your problem is you didn't get the shit beat out of you when you were younger. And then he would whack the paddle and then Bill would scream, you're going to be a mama's boy and cry. Is that what you're going to do? So that fall during this football season leading up to Bill's death, several times Lance ran away from home in the middle of the night. He would go to a different friend's houses, knock on their window. One night it was freezing cold and he was wearing nothing but sweatpants, banged on his friend's window, came in and said this. My dad tried to strangle me tonight. He caught me on the phone with Kim and he was trying to kill me. Now, for those of you who don't know about the signs of abuse in terms of what leads to death in abuse, one of the biggest signals that death is imminent for the victim of abuse is strangling. So when a man kills his wife or his significant other, he will have in recent days or weeks strangled her and just not, and just not kill her. Hmm. So it's going to be over soon is what I'm saying. What would happen is when he ran away to these friends' homes, Kathy, his mother, would find him. She'd call around his friends until she found him and beg him to come home because Bill was hurting her. And if he didn't come home, Bill turned it all on her. There's so many things that are so tragic about that. I don't even need to list them all, but you can imagine the mother, what she's going through. She's trying to protect herself. She's got an eight-year-old son who can help protect her, but she knows what she's doing to bring him home is bad too. It's horrible for everybody. Well, one of the moms of a friend who answered the phone could hear Bill in the background screaming, screaming, ranting, raving, threatening. And so she says to Lance, she says, you can please stay here. Don't go home. And he says, no, I have to go home for my mom. All right. So Lance goes on trial. Of course, the district attorney being district attorneys, they throw the book at him and they charge him with all these things. The jury was split down the middle. Six of them wanted to give him probation and six wanted to give him a prison term. But one angry juror demanded a life sentence. People who were in the courthouse while the deliberations were going on said that they could hear screaming between the jurors, screaming at each other, yelling. And the foreman passed a note to the judge that said, we are coming close to throwing punches. So a mistrial was declared. Lawyers realized that having another chance at a hung jury was pretty good, so they got together to negotiate. And one of the reasons why they agreed to that is because Lance finally started talking about the abuse, which he'd never done before. So one of the things that's so horrific about abuse is that it puts at odds two things that should never be at odds. This person is supposed to protect me and this person is hurting me. And you're not allowed to fight back. As a child, you're not allowed to fight back. If somebody comes at you with a paddle who's not your father, you fight them off, but you're not allowed right. to fight back. So that beats out of you self-protection and how to and how to even navigate the world with, with responding to your instincts. It's just so many things that, that are so screwed up about it. And Lance had never told anyone really the details of it. But his attorney got him to talk on the stand about his abuse. So much so that several jurors were crying listening to it. Wow. And so they decided to make a plea deal. Guilty plea of manslaughter. In exchange for a three-year sentence. And he served his time and he's he's been out for a while. This is a, a tough one for me. Because I had recently watched the documentary uh, Mommy Dead and Dearest. I don't know if you've watched that one. It's about the girl by the name of Gypsy Rose. Yeah. I watched that one. So the thing that I struggled with is, and, and this is the same thing with Lance, right? The amount that this, this girl, Gypsy Rose, was tortured by her mother. I mean, mm-hmm. flat out tortured. And... It sounds like Lance, too, was living in a complete hell. 
Mm-hmm. And then when when people who are in these situations turn to murder because the authorities don't help them. I mean, I can imagine that Lance, because before I was saying what leads people to choose murder. Well, I will say in this circumstance that you laid out to me after you told me he uh, murdered his dad, I'm not sure he had any other option. Me either. Um, and so... I do understand, like even Gypsy Rose, who found a guy on the internet to kill her mother, I don't think she had any options. She had gone to doctors, she had gone, you know, police, and all different people were involved, and they continued to support the mother. So, like, if y'all don't know that story, that's a, that's a Munchausen by proxy story for the ages. Mommy Dead and Dearest is a good documentary. Yeah, it's good. So, so in this particular case, I probably can say I understand. I don't, still don't advocate it. I still think that victims of, of abuse do have an option, but children who've grown up like this may not realize they have an option. I agree. And there's more, of course, I didn't tell, by the way. I mean, there's just, sure. just it goes on and on. And I'm sure there's a lot that the article itself didn't, you know, there's a long article already. He couldn't detail everything. It's one of those things where people who knew that family, who really knew them, were shocked but not surprised. Yeah. And so his devotion to his kids, people did recognize um, there's something really wrong here. Because there was also instances of him, his wife would always film Lance's football games on one of those old camcorders every minute. And so Bill, of course, was one of those sports parents that we've all seen, either online or in person who'd scream at the refs and cuss and, and just freak out, you know? I'm not saying it's a sign that someone's about to get murdered, but they're all problematic as fuck. There's a big problem there. So part of what I was planning to talk about when I first read this story was psycho sports parents and what that does to kids or what their mentality is. But there's another thing that I really wanted to talk about in this case. And it goes back to the very first thing I said about Bill when he was in high school is that they nicknamed him Butt because he would headbutt people on the football field and he did it for years. And his personality, his erratic behavior, his depression, his abuse, his verbal abuse, doesn't that all sound like CTE to you? Oh, like a head injury. Yeah. So I actually did look up, are these signs of CTE? CTE stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy defined as a progressive degenerative disease of the brain. And it's really only found with people who who have a history of repetitive brain trauma, boxers and the like, and football players. And it doesn't just happen after one. One concussion is not going to be the end of it, but repetitive injuries to the brain can lead to this thing that turns into sometimes a really, you know, dangerous or volatile person. And here's some of the signs, according to the Mayo Clinic. Difficulty thinking, cognitive impairment, impulsive behavior, difficulty carrying out tasks, emotional instability, short-term memory loss, loss of executive function, and the executive function, the prefrontal cortex of your brain. Sometimes it has substance misuse or abuse or suicidal thoughts or behavior. Totally sounds like that, and... I was thinking about the head injury thing from the standpoint of losing impulse control. Yep. And we all have crazy thoughts. I think simultaneous, you always have a positive and a negative thought, whether you realize it or not. Carl Jung talks about, he gives an example of when he was a kid, he found a bird on the ground and it was wounded and he picked it up to save the bird. But he also, when he was holding the bird, had this thought, I could crush the bird with my hand. Now he ended up saving the bird, but that's the duality of human existence that we have impulses and then we think about it. When you have a traumatic brain injury, maybe you think, I'm going to go beat the shit out of my son. And the second thought doesn't come. Right. The impulse control thought doesn't come. Right. Right. So I love sports documentaries. Love. And I don't care what sport it's about. I actually ended up being a fan of Drive to Survive. Did you watch that? It was on the racing, the... Um, NASCAR? No, the, no, no. I won't watch that. Formula. So, Formula One. Yes. Anyway, I love sports documentaries. 
and I watched one on Aaron Hernandez. I think it was a 30 for 30, which are the best sports documentaries on ESPN. I've seen the Aaron Hernandez one. One of the things about CTE is it's not diagnosable until you're dead because you can't see the lesions on the brain while the person's alive. You have to cut their head open. And so after Aaron Hernandez died, his brain, according to the doctors, was the worst case of CTE they'd ever seen. His entire brain had been eaten by these lesions. Now, if you don't know the Aaron Hernandez story, he was a, and I use this in, as a technical term, a violent thug throughout college and his professional career led to murders and assaults. And he was just, everything was a slight. He, he got revenge on somebody who accidentally bumped into him at a club but came back to kill him. There's right. no impulse control. Now, this is not me saying there's an excuse, but I'm always intrigued by how the decision-making in the brain can be blocked by physical impairments like these lesions in the CTE, you know. You know, when I knew you were going to talk about extreme sports situations, I did a little bit of research on it. And I was looking at it from the standpoint of how can it be stopped? And everything I read wasn't about how can you not be an extreme sports parent? It was from the standpoint of non-extreme parents how can they protect themselves against these oh. parents? The CNN article I found from July 24th of 2015, and there's some Psychology Today articles too, were saying that they have a new term for this and it's called the narcissistic parent disorder. I think that's what they call it. It says, there's a book about it, defending yourself against extreme narcissists in an all about me age. What the main component of this narcissistic parent syndrome is that they're trying to live vicariously through their child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this story you, you told is a really great example of this. It's not even subtle. I mean, he made it very clear. It was never Lance. It was us, me, you know, it was, we're going to do this. This is my chance. It wasn't, it wasn't Lance, you know? Yeah. Now and then in the descriptions of Lance too, I mean, sweet and sensitive kid now you can be a sweet and sensitive kid and be athletic as fuck but what if he didn't want to be an athlete what if he wanted to write poetry you know he never had a chance to choose right. what he wanted to do well there's another component to this too because not everything turns out the same way right not every narcissistic parent or extreme parent leads to a murderous situation but Lori Day, an educational psychologist and former school administrator, has seen firsthand the impact of narcissistic parents and children. She says that a lot of them turn out to be fragile. They've been told they're the greatest thing since sliced bread their whole lives, uh -huh. being terribly <laughs> overprotected and overindulged by parents who live vicariously through them. Day, who has a child of her own, said she was talking to college professors who have a term for these kids. They call them teacups because they're so fragile. Once they're separated from their doting, promoting parents, they struggle with basic skills of independence, their self-esteem is vulnerable, and they lack resilience. Well, that's the thing, too. We could do an entire segment on the snowplow parents and the teacup kids. The part of your brain that develops resilience is significant for all kinds of things in life, but it needs to physically grow. And if that thing doesn't grow, then you're not going to be able to function as an adult in any right. capacity that is going to achieve things because the resilience only happens when you fail. And if the parents never let you fail, you're never going to learn resilience. There's right. an old cliche, you know, I never learned anything when the times I won. I only learned when I lost. I only learned when I failed. Yeah. Know? So it's not just sports parents either. I have to tell you, I actually stopped judging speech and debate competitions. When I first got out of college, I was getting asked a lot as a former speech and debate champion to go around Texas and judge these competitions. And I stopped because I, I had at least one encounter where a, pa a parent was going to assault me, but was held back by other parents. I was frequently approached by parents who would cuss me out who would question my decision, want me to change my decision. It was insane. And after the incident where the parent was basically saying he was gonna kick my ass, I was like, I'm done with this. This is just not worth it. Unless they wanna hire private security detail in addition to your salary for that tournament, what are you gonna do? 
You're going to go back and change your ballot? That's ridiculous. Well, right. I mean, it was just preposterous. One of the reasons why I'm glad I never taught high school. I never had a, t- a parent call me other than one time to ask where my office was because his son couldn't find it and that was it. But I know other colleagues and even in college, like calls from parents and emails from parents. And, but high schools, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Oh, oh no, it's, it's, oh. it's ridiculous. Let your kids fail. Let them fail. <laughs> Let them fail. Not that you shouldn't defend your kids against something that's unfair. Yeah, but there's on the same a- token, life is unfair, right? Exactly. Even if it is unfair, you you make the fight and you move on. Yeah. I think, look, there's tons of stories out there of of parents acting badly at sporting events and, and with regards to their children. When you've got the, the asshole kid, there's usually like an asshole parent. And you're not going to change an asshole parent. But you can do things to protect yourself and your kids and just try and distance yourself from that kind of behavior. Fostering competitiveness to the level where they're weeping and they're like seven. No, that, no, we need to stop. Competitiveness has its place, but enough is enough. Your seven-year-old should not be weeping. And I read articles where people witnessed this, you know, kids having fits, losing their minds because they didn't win the game. So yeah, that needs to stop. It's yeah. resilience. It's fucking resilience. Yeah. You fall, you get back up. It's literally what you do. You get back on the horse or you, you know. But is it- forget, it's one of my favorite stories about a competitive athlete. She was a competitor, let's say in the 92 Olympics, 96 Olympics. And she was a hurdler and she tripped. She was favored to win and she tripped. And she obviously didn't win the medal. And so afterwards she was interviewed and people were asking her, you know, well, how do you feel? And she's like, Next time, I'll do it next time. Let's get next time. Let's go. Yeah. And and she said, you know, you, you, you get back up. You, you, well, I can't look back. It happened. I have to look forward. It's like, if she can do that in the finals of the Olympics, she's trained for her whole life. Pretty sure you can get past a high school football game in Texas. Well, right, right. And that's the whole thing. Even the Olympics, even winning the presidency, whatever you think is going to ruin your life for not getting it, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Plenty of people move on to bigger and better things. But that's the, the thing about this guy, Bill. He never got past. He never got past not being a star, going to college on a football scholarship, and playing in the NFL. He never got past it. Every minute of his life, he thought about that. Every minute of his life. He, first of all, couldn't get past it. And second of all, blamed the kid and blamed the wife for getting pregnant that day. Right. And never got past it. Apparently, I use a lot of farm analogies when I'm talking to people at work because somebody pointed it out to me. Because one day I was saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And there were some millennials at work that didn't know what that phrase meant. Shut up. Serious. (laughs) But I, I, I think I learned that lesson early on because I was competing in different things from a very young age. But I realized, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Like, I know maybe you want to be a football star, but maybe that won't happen. I'm not trying to crush anybody's dreams, but there's only so many slots on American Idol, right? <laughs> like some so people- thing, again, One of the things way overrated in our world, in our culture is persistence. Because you tell yourself a story about it, if I can just persist enough, I'll get that thing. But there's such a power in knowing when to move on and knowing when to try something else, whether or not that's a relationship you need to stop pursuing. You know, I could say, well, I'm never going to give up. I'm going to play in the WNBA. You know what? I'm never going to play in the WNBA. This is not my, this is not your path. You know, find find that path. Right. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, please don't end up being a homicide victim because you are such a psycho about your kids. Okay. I have an email here. That didn't sound sincere. <laughs> <laughs> I have two emails. This is from Kim. Because the question was, what do you fear? Tell us what you fear, right? And here's her message. The usual, you know, snakes, rats, running out of cream for my coffee. And I I can see that. Especially when you live in the middle of nowhere. You're not just running down to Starbucks. Some of you can run down to Starbucks. I cannot run down to Starbucks, Kim. I feel you. When you get up that morning and someone else has used all the creamer, your life is in danger. Is this non-dairy creamer that you guys are talking about? Or like (laughs) my coffee, since I'm lactose intolerant, but... What do you put in your coffee? I don't put anything in my coffee. Huh. I just drink it black. I'm judging you. 
Oh, I put almond milk. Sometimes I put almond milk in it. Oh, well, but I'm from LA. We put almond milk in everything. I have, a, I have a nut sensitivity. I can't do it anymore. Oh, a nut life. sensitivity and lactose intolerant. Look at us. Oh, special and precious and snowflake here. I put gluten in my coffee. I do eat all the gluten. Yeah. Nuts. I have I have bags of gluten all around my house. Even though I love nuts, I just stay away from nuts. But gluten, I will eat all the gluten. Yeah. Okay, so this is from Kelly. I listened to your podcast, the episode of their wedding cake was literally a Twinkie. And the wedding cake was literally a Twinkie is about women who marry convicted murderers while they're in prison. Mm-hmm. And um, Kelly says, I've always been fascinated by women who marry killers and to a lesser extent get into bad relationships and stay. I've wondered if our early life exposure to fairy tales has an effect on how women view relationships. So many girls and women think that they are the beauty who can tame the beast and that their love is so redemptive, they can change a bad man into a good man just by loving and understanding him. And you address the idea of, you know, my love can change him. Right. You know, I wonder how much of that is like fed into us from childhood of all those stupid fairy tales. Like we addressed in one thing, I don't think I published it, where we were talking about how in those fairy tales, it was so non-consensual, you know, it's really creepy. Like he, right. he wakes her up, he starts making out with her when she's still asleep and stuff. And I don't know, it's yeah. interesting. This fairy tale screw us up. I don't know. Like, I don't know when, maybe when I was like a, a kid, maybe until my hormones kicked in when I was in junior high or high school. I don't think I even thought of myself as a girl. I think I just thought of myself as Marie. Were you a girly girl? What do you think? Yes. Thank you. Like Pink tutus and bows. <laughs> yeah. And then if I lived next door to you, you would be like, hey, mommy, I just met this weird boy that lives next door. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> no, I was very athletic and I had friends who were uh, who were girls who were super masculine and even lesbian, even from a uh, very early age. All right. So you weren't girly. Huh? I was girly. Oh, I you was, were. I was very girly. I was both. It's like oh, full left brain, full right brain. I was also very girly and very athletic at the same time. Like what kind of sports did you do? Soccer, track, basketball. And you were good at these things. Yes. <laughs> really? Why do you not believe me? Why do you not believe me? No, I believe you. I was really good. I was so shitty at all of it. I was terrible. In fact, when I got into high school, I was still doing dance and athletics. And so I had to choose because at my high school, you couldn't do both. So I ended up choosing to go the dance and theater route. But it was a hard decision to to not do basketball and all that stuff. It wasn't a hard decision for me. So I had to, (laughs) I had to. I had to decide at a certain point because I was doing everything like under my name and the, I, I should send it to you. We can post it on our Instagram, but like for my senior picture next to everyone else's, there's like a giant paragraph of all my activities underneath it. You did all of them? Yeah. And it says most likely to be first woman president. It also says that, (laughs) but I did play sports briefly and I was just so bad, Becky, really bad. Like so my senior year, I had abandoned all sports just because I was bad at it. And our girls softball team was really, really good that year. And they were on the verge of going to like state within our, I guess, the private school system. And the problem is all the girls on their team were flunking. So they start going from classroom to classroom asking, are there any girls that have any experience playing softball or baseball and I'm like yeah I've I played both and they were like can you fill in for this game I'm like sure so I get out on the field and when they pitch the ball to me I hit it hard and it goes way way out and I peel out around the bases somebody catches the ball but I didn't see so I'm at third base And I see that somebody's caught the ball and I'm like, all right, I'm out. So I walk all the way back to the dugout. But once I get into the dugout, my back is turned to everyone. I hear someone screaming, go back, go back. Like people are screaming, go back. Well, they weren't talking to me. They were talking to the girl who was on the bases in front of me who had gone to home plate. So she was in between bases, right? I thought they were talking to me. So I peeled out of the dugout, (laughs) full force. 
I ran like a bat out of hell out of the dugout and slid onto first base from the dugout. Dude, I confused the other team so bad. Play in the game stopped. And everyone was just laughing. And I'm like covered in dirt, slid onto the base. They weren't even talking to me. They were talking to some other girl. That was running the base from the dugout. It was bizarre. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you for that story. Oh. <laughs> oh, this <laughs> was our episode on obsessive sports parents. Yeah. One particular case for Fort Worth. So please email us. Like we just read a couple of them. Our email is fearless at nowfear.com. And please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe there and write us a funny review for us to read on the show. Oh, we have more reviews we'll read next week because we didn't we have more than we yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. Subscribe on our website for life-changing content. Definitely life-changing. And that's why we keep bringing it up, right? Yes. All the lives we've changed so far, we can't even count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're changing lives for sure. I know it's this podcast is changing my life, at least for a few hours every weekend. Every, every weekend. Yeah. All right. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Do you have any videos of you playing sports? Do you not believe me? I'm very athletic. <laughs> I believe you. Oh.